Welcome to the Am I Called podcast. Am I Called is a ministry that exists to help men find their call and to help pastors find called men. For more information and resources, visit amicalled.com. Now, here's your host, Dave Harvey. Hi, folks. This is our next installment of the Am I Called podcast, and I'm your host, Dave Harvey. Today's guest is Dr. Michael Horton. Mike is the J. Gresham Machen Professor of Theology and Apologetics at Westminster Seminary in California. He's also the host of the White Horse Inn. That's a weekly broadcast. And also, he's the editor-in-chief of Modern Reformation magazine. As a prolific author, Mike has written and edited, well, more than 15 books. And with an upcoming release that's titled Ordinary, Sustainable Faith in a Radical, Restless World, and we're, we're hoping to talk a bit about that a little bit more in the broadcast. But equally important to all of that is the fact that Mike is a pastor, and he serves at Christ United Reformed Church in, in California. Last fall, Mike and I were kind of providentially paired together in Brazil, where we shared teaching responsibilities at two different leaders' conferences that were sponsored by Fiel Publishing, and we began some conversations there that I want to continue today. Mike, it's great to have you here, and I got to tell you, I'm exhausted just talking about all the stuff that you're doing, but so thanks for making the time for this interview. Dave, it's a pleasure. I really enjoyed getting to know you, uh, not just through your your writing, but to know you uh, personally in Brazil. It was, a, it was a great time of ministry. It was. Mike, I want to pick up that, that theme of your, your schedule. You know, you've written many books. You're a seminary professor. You host a radio program. You're obviously a guy who gets a lot done. How in the world do you accomplish all of this and, and just still have hours in the day to sleep? I mean, do you have, are you an expert organizer? Do you have a crack assistant? How does that work for you? Well, it would have to be a uh, process of elimination is easy there. I do not have a forthcoming book on uh, man- time management. It's really, I, I have a wonderful assistant. I have a wonderful wife. There's a wonderful team at Whitehorse Inn that makes sure that uh, everything's rolling on that front. And, you know, without people like that, you just can't really get done the things that you need to get done. I like to focus on on something and, uh, you know, Mr. ADHD, so I've got to have something to focus on, and uh, writing and teaching seem to really be that for me. Well, your ADHD is certainly serving the body of Christ. <laughs> and, uh, I, you know, one of the things I want to talk about is is just your role as a pastor, because in addition to all the other things that you're doing is the fact that you're a pastor. And I, I know that that word, that role, has substance and meaning to you. It was something that you you referenced while we were together. Um, were, were, Mike, were you embedded in the academy and then called as a pastor, or were you a pastor who then added scholarship and the pursuit of scholarship to all these other roles? Yeah, the latter. Um, I, I think of, of even my more academic work as being in service to the church. So even when I've written my, you know, something that's of a more academic nature, I'm thinking about how pastors can use that, how fellow professors in seminaries can use that, or in, you know, university, college contexts where they're able to think not only about the history of Christian uh, thought, but also uh, the application of Christian thought in uh, everyday ministry. 
uh, one of the great things about the seminary where I teach out here, Westminster, California, is uh, that all full-time faculty are required to be ministers at one of the local churches. And so I have been called by my church here to be an associate minister loaned to the seminary to teach. And I love that model of basically saying that we belong to the church, but we're loaned to the seminary. So you were you were already an, an associate minister, but you decided to go to seminary at some point. And you, you realized that that was something that God was, was calling you to do. Mike, why don't you talk a little bit about what, what convinced you to go to seminary? Sure. Um, yeah, I was called to, to seminary. I wasn't sure whether I wanted to uh, be a full-time pastor or teach in seminary. I knew that I had to, to be involved in ministry either way. So I came here to the seminary where I teach now, and I, I think that seminary education is so important because we have a, many, many years, if God grants it, to uh, minister to people, to evangelize, to equip our people to be disciples and so forth. But we have to become disciples ourselves, and, and they're just these few years that we have to develop tools of discipleship for ourselves that will be useful for making disciples when we're in the ministry. So I can't extol the importance of seminary enough just to, to learn the biblical languages so you're not always dependent on uh, you know other resources, the importance of uh, knowing church history so you don't end up uh, reinventing the wheel that isn't quite round, historical theology, systematic theology, and then how to apply it in pastoral ministry. So all of that from seasoned veterans, which is what I had when I was a seminary student, is uh, is of incalculable worth to me. I, I keep growing basically because of that foundation that I was given in those few years that I was able to focus on study. This is a really helpful pocket that you've you've dropped into because I think we probably have have listeners who are are young guys and they're wondering if they should go to seminary and and maybe even some of them are wondering do do I betray something in my ecclesiology by going to seminary by seeding my training over to seminary Mike maybe you could talk a little bit about what what can seminary do and and what can't it do in the task of training men for yeah, ministry? Yeah, important questions. I'd already written a book uh, uh, and wrote one during seminary. Uh, I was, I was uh, taking weekends to fly off and speak at different places. I wouldn't have done that if I had to do it over again. The reason is there, there are these three years to really become proficient in things that you only have this one chance to become proficient at. Learning the biblical languages, systematic theology, historical theology, how the Bible all fits together, how the church is interpreted over the centuries, and then how to apply that in pastoral ministry from veterans who know what they're talking about. It's an analogy to uh, becoming a doctor. If you really have a passion to become a, a, a doctor, you want to you want to heal people's bodies, you don't just uh, go out there and start carving people up and learn along the way. You go to medical school because for your sake and theirs, you want to be a good doctor. You want to heal people, not uh, hurt them. And I think there's a lot of slipshod and even <laughs> malpractice medicine, spiritual medicine out there it doesn't mean that a seminary is going to eliminate all of that, especially a bad seminary, but it does mean, all things being equal, that whatever gifts and calling and passion you have, 
they'll only become honed and better skilled and better equipped by taking time off to go away and spend a few years, not only with professors, but with aspiring fellow pastors and missionaries who are going to become lifelong friends and allies in the ministry. There's just nothing that can replace that time of preparation. Yeah, and I think the the best seminaries are those that see themselves as an extension of the church and, and in partnership with the church. Because what they do is unique, and there's few things. There's a few things they do that are absolutely essential. Like, I mean, ultimately, they they're training people that are going to protect the integrity of the canon, and and help to cultivate the scholarship and the expertise that's necessary to do so. I think I think churches can reproduce pastors where necessary. It it takes place all over the world all the time. But, but we need seminaries for the scholarship as, as well as the training. And, uh, but they have to work in partnership, don't they? they? Churches have to be able to identify called people and, and send them to seminaries. The churches have to be involved in evaluating the character of, of, of men because seminaries wouldn't be in a position to do that. And, yeah. and ultimately, then, they get them at the end of seminary, and they have to position them as well. So it really is a, is a partnership, isn't it, Mike? It, it, absolutely, it's a partnership, and that, that is absolutely crucial. Not only, uh, I can only speak about my own context here, but not only are we as professors expected to be deeply involved in our own churches as those on loan to the seminary from the church, but students are required, Master of Divinity students are required to fulfill a really large number, I forget exactly how many, but a large number of hours of internship with a local church. And then, then those pastors and elders report regularly, and those reports go in their files. It's part of their education here. We realize that you can't learn everything in a classroom. And so we like to place our students in, in churches where they can, they can learn from men who've been doing this now for a lot of years. There are some things that they can't learn simply in parish ministry, but there are a lot of things also that they can't just learn in the classroom. So putting those things together is, is of enormous importance. Mike, let's talk a little bit more about your your experience in in the local church and in in ministry there. As you think back upon about the way that God worked in your life, were there any specific defining moments that you experienced in your in your journey toward pastoral ministry? Yes, Dave. Uh, one that sticks out in my memory that most obviously is when I was. 13, I went to my first theology conference. It was the Philadelphia Conference on Reformed Theology. James Montgomery Boyce was the founder. Okay. I just Hang on, Mike. I just want our, our listeners to catch that you're 13 years old going to your first <laughs> theology conference. Well, I don't think it, that's how most 13-year-olds are thinking of spending their time. Well, it was, it, it was I had been listening to some tapes by James Boyce, R.C. Sproul, J.I. Packer, and others, and I thought, wow, if these guys are so insightful about the scriptures, I'd love to go to one of these conferences. And here I was in my uh, angel flight suit and my silk shirt and uh, puka shells, uh, long hair. I'm dating myself, but James Boyce in the same suit I think that he wore every day until he died. (laughs) And uh, I told him after he spoke, I want to become a reformer too. 
And instead of uh, laughing or grinning, he took me seriously and he said, what are you doing for lunch? <laughs> and I said, uh, nothing. Wow. And he said, well, I have a sack lunch here. You want to you wanna share it with me? And so he took me into the, one of the Sunday school rooms and we uh, had lunch. And that began a friendship, a mentorship that lasted really until he died. We, we ended up founding together the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals and worked very closely together over many years. Just have the utmost respect for, I mean, that was a moment in your, in your youth when you're crying out to have your passion taken seriously, even if you're young. And here was, a, here was a man who had gone to Harvard, Princeton, and then Basel, very serious pastor, and he's talking to this teenager as if he's a colleague. And uh, it was that moment, I think, that was of so much importance for me to have my calling affirmed. And uh, even though I was in a church that was not necessarily of the same stripe, I felt like I, there was there was somebody there who really understood me, and I always felt that way over the years. Mike, that is a touching story, and uh, you know I, I hope that if there are any pastors listening, that they'll pay careful attention to the example of Dr. Boyce because here yeah. he has a you know a thirteen year old teenager approaching him, and and not only does he have the time, but he has the interest. He's sitting down with you for lunch and there's there's a sense where he's he's seeing something in you in your questions he's got his antenna up at a conference to be able to to, to notice that it's a great use of time to to spend a lunch with a 13 year old i i really appreciate his example and, and i want to follow it you know dave that's so true i mean just to echo what you said i i find it you know sometimes at conferences especially the bigger they are at conferences, we're sometimes treated and sometimes it's it's difficult to, to resist falling into it ourselves as talent at a, uh, at a rock concert. And it's very easy to kind of uh, move through the crowd and it's a different situation than being a pastor of your own, your own people. And, and instead of having our pictures taken with people and being shuttled through the crowd, we really need to think more uh, as Jesus did and make disciples right where they are, right under our nose, right where we, wherever we can. Mike, that touches on, uh, on, on I think, a theme that, that emerges in the, the title of your next book, um, Ordinary. And uh, this book is yet to be released. And I, I th it seems to me, uh, I've, I've read through a bit of it, it, that there's been a flood of books recently Radical and Crazy Love and, and uh, books that are calling believers to a, a radical, front-edge kind of life. In light of that, your title seems kind of counterintuitive. So what are the concerns that you're trying to address here? Yeah, well, first of all, I, I, I wanted to ensure that the book wouldn't be purchased. So I titled, you know, titled it Ordinary. Who wants, to, who wants to buy a book called Ordinary? <laughs> Um, you don't want to be caught reading that on the plane. But I think that there is a tendency for us to become worldly in our thinking, uh, even in the name of mission and evangelism and reaching people. We, we want Christianity to be cool, and so we're always looking for the next big thing. That is no less true, unfortunately, in Christian circles. You know, it used to be the model for spiritual growth and discipleship was personal instruction, teaching, 
exposition of the scripture, the ordinary life in the church with baptism and the Lord's Supper and prayer, a lot of that has just kind of been pushed to the margins. Oh yeah, well that of course. But we find a lot of things more exciting that really aren't part of the Great Commission. And I think it's part of our cultural desire in part, I mean, I'm speaking as, a, as a, an associate pastor here, sometimes there's a desire on our parts to be important, to leave a legacy, to make a difference. And sometimes that's driven by mostly good motives, other times not so good motives. And I think that the expectation that we put on people to be radical, to be to transform the culture, to you know, all these radical calls can sometimes burn us out. And even if they don't burn us out, distract us from being ordinary faithful disciples where God has placed us. We're not called to be radical. We're called to be faithful, to be disciplined and to grow up. And one of the things I talk about is the extent to which in previous eras, certainly in the church, but even in a culture affected by Christianity, the desire was to grow up. You know, uh, children uh, were being prepared for adulthood. And today, it seems uh, in our culture and in our churches, uh, the goal is to be forever young. And so instead of raising the children toward maturity, we bring even the older folks down to the level of uh, a youth culture. And so this book really is about discipleship for the long haul instead of these sprints that we seem to be running every 10 years. Well, let's imagine for a second that there's some young men listening who who just feel a fire burning. They have an aspiration, there's an ambition, and, and they want to give their lives away to mission or ministry or the lost or another nation, and they want to make <laughs> or take radical steps to, to do that. And Mike, imagine that you're sitting in your office and one of them is sitting across from you at the desk. How would you help them think about the future in light of these aspirations they feel? Sure. You know, I would say, first of all, think about the things that are most important in life. Uh, if you're a gardener, you're into gardening. It takes work. If you're slipshod, uh, if, you're, if you're into the latest and greatest, you're, you're looking for a miracle grow at Home Depot, you're not going to really be a good long-distance gardener. The same is true if you want to uh, be an athlete. You know, I can, I, I'm a sucker for six-pack abs in three weeks. Well, I don't have six-pack abs, never have, but I've uh, taken the bait a few times. And a real trainer will say, uh, yeah, that's garbage. You can't, you can't actually, uh, sorry, uh, you know, I might lose you as a customer, but this is going to take a long time. You're really out of shape. We have to be ready to say, you know, to follow Christ is to understand who he is, what his mission was, what he's doing now at the Father's right hand, the sending of the Holy Spirit, how all of this was prophesied in, in the Old Testament, how Christ is proclaimed from Genesis to Revelation. There's a lot there, and you just don't get it by walking in off the street with a coupon. You have to really work at this. It takes work. Discipleship is from the same word uh, as, as discipline. Um, it takes discipline. And I'm not ordinarily uh, a guy who is drawn to discipline like a moth to a flame. But, you know, if it's valuable enough to it, that's the thing. If it's valuable enough to us, we'll take the time. Think about the time that 
we invest in becoming proficient in technology, in gadgets we use, or in sports, do we as Christians invest the same level of interest in learning the grammar and the logic and the rhetoric of the Christian faith, or are we just kind of playing by ear, as it were? Um, that's another analogy I use because I, I uh, took piano lessons for years, and I have a good ear. So I would pretend, I would improvise, and sometimes the teacher wouldn't uh, notice that I was just listening to her play, and then I was trying to repeat it. As a result, today, all I can do is play by ear. And so I have a narrow repertoire of show tunes and old gospel favorites. Hmm. Whereas if I had really invested those early years in discipline, um, I might enjoy sitting down at the piano and just opening a, a bit of, bit of uh, Chopin and going at it. Yeah, it's, it seems like one of the tasks of, of leadership is to recognize that there's a, a recalibration that needs to take place where where the average believer needs a deep appreciation for the grace that comes in routine and the rhythm, yes. rhythm that comes in, 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 in rigor um, and that most of life is being lived out there and will be lived out there. So we, we hope there are big events with God and, and that God meets us in profound ways as we do things that are unusual. I pray that all the time but but in reality most of my life is lived out apart from those kinds of things and and that's where i've got to learn to engage god it's it's more like the the john 15 abiding in christ mm-hmm. exactly it's it's uh you know like like being married it's i mean it is a relationship we have with the lord and in my marriage sure there are there are great moments of extraordinary delight in each other but for the most part I would even say those extraordinary moments would not have happened without the everyday routines that support and undergird and build a, a relationship of trust over many years. We do that in marriage, or at least should be doing it more. I know I should be doing it more in marriage. But uh, we think, oh, well, it's that uh, big weekend on the cruise. I'm going to mess up for the next several months because my wife and I are going on that cruise. Or, uh, well, I haven't really been that faithful in the day-to-day -day stuff, so we'll go to a marriage seminar that's coming up. You know, we, we just, we put so much emphasis on the big things, the big events, the big moments that relieve us from the responsibility of being faithful in the daily-to-day -day routines. Mm. Excellent. Well, that, that book, again, is called Ordinary. And uh, when is that going to be released, Mike? Uh, I'm told it's uh, uh, the end of September. Excellent. Mike, um, I'm going to wrap up. I've, I've just got a couple of questions related to, to writing um, and specifically writing more, more technical, scholarly material. And maybe the best way to get at this would be to say, let's, let's imagine for a second that at your next conference, uh, a 17 or 18 year old Mike Horton walks up to you and and says I have a I have a dream that of writing not simply books but of of contributing to the scholarship of in some area of writing systematic theology like you did in a thousand page systematic theology book or or some technical piece they have, they have a vision for their life and it seems like they have the game to do it what steps would you counsel them to take to move in that direction? Sure. 
Well, I would I would say first and foremost, find a good church if you're not in one already. That's that's the you know you you can't uh, be a flourishing vine apart from the vineyard, and so you need to be a part of uh, of a great local church. You need to know your pastor and your elder. They need to know you well enough to be able to hone your gifts and to discern your calling. Of course, they're not going to have the last word on this. But, you know, they're, they're the ones whom God has put in place over us to help us discern our uh, callings. And then I think also to uh, find opportunities to uh, minister outside the context of the official uh, ministry of word and sacrament. And, you know, to go to nursing homes and visit, visit people there, to uh, go to foster homes, to visit people who are often left behind. And... That's a wonderful opportunity that we have. That, I had that opportunity in, in my young years. My parents had a rest home, and it was a uh, captive audience, literally. They couldn't go anywhere, and so I could uh, hone my preaching and mm, counseling skills. That's great. And I didn't feel like I was practicing on them. I felt like I was learning from them. The goal, I think, step outside of your own age group, your own demographic, get to know people, even if they're the same age, get to know people who are of different ethnic background, get to know people who uh, don't shop where you shop, don't visit the same websites, don't listen to the same music. Mike, suppose he says to you, all these things I do, and I still want to develop a, a sharp theological mind that can ultimately write. Yeah. What are you saying then? Yeah, I would say, even though you can't develop a Christian mind only from books, you can't really uh, do so without reading, and reading widely. Don't start with the, the stuff that is going to be, you know, possibly drown you, but also don't, don't just pick up things that are at your basic reading level. Challenge yourself. You don't want to drown, but you also don't want to, you, you do want to learn to swim, and so... I would say find a good reading list. There are all sorts of recommended reading lists that you can uh, track down. We have one at whitehorsein.org if, if people are interested uh, in, in a reading list there for beginner, intermediate, and advanced levels. Go one step above your typical level of reading just to challenge yourself a bit. Calvin's Institutes, for example, a lot of people think that's really hard to dig into, but You'd be surprised. I'm sure you've heard it too, Dave. People come up to me all the time and say, including 17-year-olds, who say, I thought that we weren't supposed to be able to understand this. This is uh, easier to read than a lot of uh, commentaries I've been, been looking at. Don't be surprised if the best stuff in church history that you could read, the classics of Christian thinking, are actually easier to read in some cases than a lot of newer stuff on the market. So immerse yourself as much as possible in the in the older thinking. There's a reason why you can still get those books. It's not because they're old that they're better. It's because there's been time to sift out the wheat from the chaff and the books that have survived 100, 500, 1000 years are generally speaking the better books. And so I would say don't immerse yourself in uh, the newest stuff alone, but make sure that you, for every, every book written in the past 20 years, 
pick up uh, pick up something from the Puritans, from the Reformers, from the uh, from the Church Fathers, and uh, that'll be really rewarding. And then, were you writing as well as a teenager? As you were wading into some of these these books, was there some forum that you you also wrote in? Yes, I actually wrote my first book. Uh, it was Mission Accomplished. Now it's Putting Amazing Back into Grace. But I wrote that book primarily to convince my family about the doctrines of grace. How you know? How do you talk about these things in a way that is winsome and compelling, hopefully, I found that it was easier to, to write it all out than sometimes to try to do it piece by piece in conversations that often turned heated. Yeah, that's and really so, interesting. How, how old were you when you wrote that? Uh, well, I, 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 I gave Dr. Boyce the manuscript when I was 14, and he kindly wrote the uh, foreword for it, but it wasn't published, actually published, until I was uh, a sophomore in college. Oh my goodness! <laughs> That's I had no idea you were that young when you wrote that book. Well, that it, it had a lot of revisions from uh, Mission Accomplished to uh, to putting Amazing back into Grace. But I'm uh, so grateful once again to Dr. Boyce for taking the time to give me input on it. Well, it's it's a great illustration of how you, even though you're you know you are making a strong case in your book ordinary for to, for experiencing God in the ordinary but you're also a- applying yourself with your gifts and talents even at a young age and you're encountering God's blessing in doing it and, and even even publishing a book I think it's a it's a great example of of expecting to, to meet God in the rhythm of life while we're also moving toward the, the areas where he's gifted us mm-hmm yeah and, and on that point, I would recommend patience that, you know, when I was in seminary, even though I'd spent these number of years writing about theology, even giving talks on it, I didn't know until the middle of my seminary years whether I wanted to go into biblical studies or theology as my emphasis. And it's entirely okay. Don't, you know, the Lord has brought you this far. He's not going to uh, leave you orphaned on, on this just have the patience to really become intoxicated with God's Word to such a point where you have a lot of different directions you could go. You know the Lord is eventually going to give you discernment and wisdom with the help of others to find that right fit, that right niche. Don't get all anxious about, uh, about tomorrow, as I think our Lord says in one place. That's very helpful, Mike. Guys, this is the Am I Called podcast, and I'm your host, Dave Harvey. One important piece of information is that the new website, amicalled.com, just launched this past week. And again, that the purpose of that website is to help men find their calling and help churches find called men. So if you have a chance, check it out. There's loads of free stuff there and other podcasts to serve men just like you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Am I Called podcast, which was brought to you today by Four Oaks Community Church in Tallahassee, Florida. For more articles, interviews, and resources on calling and pastoral ministry, visit amicalled.com.